There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir. They have the car stopped in Tampa Ranch, Michael Biden. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, 27-year veteran. You know, folks, the shooting uh, in Highland Park and all active shooting cases deserve so much investigation and so much attention. And we have to realize in the years since the the Texas shooting on that water tower, which has got to be close to 40 years ago, Active shooters have been a phenomena in this country. And we most of the the one that probably garnered the most fame um, was Columbine, uh, Harris and Klebold, two students that listed their motive as being bullied. And because of that incident, a lot of um, attention has gone into the anti-bullying campaign. But we find out in a lot of these active shooters That's not the only reason. There are a multitude of reasons. And there's been studies. The FBI did a very important study. And they studied uh, some active shooter cases in this country between the years 2000 and 2013. And in 2014, the FBI published this report. And I'm going to um, read a little bit from it. Uh, The FBI published this report. entitled A Study of the Active Shooter Incidents in the United States Between 2000 and 2013. 160 active shooter incidents in the United States occurring between 2000 and 2013 were included in the sample. In the first report, the FBI focused on the circumstances of the active shooting events, for example, location, duration, and resolution, but did not attempt to identify the motive driving the offender, nor did it highlight observable pre-attack behaviors demonstrated by the offender. The 2014 report will be referred to as the phase one study. The present study, phase two, is the natural second phase of that initiative, moving from an examination of the parameters of the shooting events to assessing the pre-attack behaviors of the the shooters themselves. This second phase then turns from the vitally important inquiry of what happened during and after the shooting, to the pressing question of how did the active shooters behave before the attack? And if it can be determined, why did they attack? The FBI's objective here was to examine specific behaviors that may precede an attack and which might be used uh, useful in identifying, assessing, and managing those who may be on a pathway toward the deadly violence. Key findings of the phase two study, the 65 active shooters examined in this study did not appear to be uniform in any way such that they could be readily identified prior to attacking based on demographics alone. Active shooters take time to plan and prepare for the attack with 77% of the subjects spending a week or longer planning their attack and 46% spending a week or longer actually preparing, procuring the means for the attack. A majority of the active shooters obtain their firearms legally, which is an interesting thing, with only a very small percentage obtaining firearms illegally. The FBI can only verify that 25% of the active shooters in the study had ever been diagnosed with a mental illness. Of those diagnosed, only three had been diagnosed with a psychotic disorder. Active shooters were typically experiencing multiple stressors, an average of 3.6 separate stressors in the year before they attacked. On average, each active shooter displayed four to five concerning behaviors over time that were observable to others around the shooter. The most frequently occurring concerning behaviors were related to the active shooter's mental health, problematic interpersonal interactions, and leakage of violent intent. For each active shooter under 18, school peers and teachers were more likely to observe 
behaviors concerning than family members. For active shooters 18 years of age or older, spouses, domestic partners, or the most likely to observe concerning behaviors. When concerning behaviors was observed by others, the most common response was to communicate directly to the active shooter 83% of the time, or do nothing 54% of the time. In 41% of the cases, the concerning behavior was reported to law enforcement. Therefore, just because concerning behavior was re recognized does not necessarily mean that it was reported to law enforcement. In those cases where active shooters' primary grievance could be identified, the most common grievance were related to an adverse interpersonal or employment action against the shooter, 49%. In the majority, 64%, at least one of the victims was specifically targeted by the active shooter. And then when we talk about methodology, we think the FBI gets into demographics, planning and preparation, acquisition of firearms in relation to the attack, stresses which preceded the event, grievance formation. Why were they using a grievance as to why they attacked? Uh, concerning pre-attack behaviors and communications, targeting decisions, and mental health. So why am I going through all of these reasons? Because it gives us reasons as to why the active shooter, why they struck and why, what were their reasons behind um, attacking? There's a new uh, article, a short story article out recently, Eye on the News, A Bitter Harvest, and it's by retired uh, FBI agent James Gagliano, who's also a contributed to CBS News. He happens to have a keen insight to these active shooter incidents. I'm going to read the first two paragraphs of his article. The 21-year-old alleged perpetrator of the mass shooting at Highland Park, Illinois Independence Day Parade, which left seven dead and dozens injured, is apparently cooperating with police who remain unsure as to his motive. Police apprehended the suspect, Robert E. Criminal III, without incident, as he tried to flee the scene while attired in women's clothing. Lake County State Attorney Eric Reinhardt charged Crimo, who fired some 70 rounds from an AR-style rifle with seven counts of first-degree murder. If convicted, he faces a mandatory life sentence. As law enforcement sifts through these available digital data, evidence connected to the alleged shooter, a fledgling musician who used the alias Awake the Rapper, a common theme has emerged among Crimo's myriad online videos, images, and songs. Similar to many other young men who became mass shooters, his communications reveal a perverse fascination with violence and violent imagery. And while as yet no specific profile of a mass shooter exists that would be useful to prediction, a limited set of commonalities and descriptors seem to apply. These include mental illness, a history of isolation, family instability, and a, an attacker's sense of grievance. These are all quite interesting, and it's not something that we just learned about. It's something that we've seen in active shooters in the past. It's something, one of the horrifying things is that there were, there, there were some warning signs, numerous warning signs in this incident. In fact, the family, and we'll get into that a little later, the family recognized or should have recognized some of these instances. In fact, the father even signed the permission for him to buy a firearm after he had at one time attempted or indicated a, uh, an intention of committing suicide. And another time it threatened the family with killing everyone with over 62 knives he had. Now, these incidents were quite, quite alarming. However, the family still signed off, the father still signed off a permission slip for him to get a firearm. So these, obviously, though, these warnings were not heeded. Of murder, prosecutors say he's confessed. Now, it's important to remember the case against James and Jennifer Crumbly. Remember the parents of Ethan Crumbly, who was charged with killing four students at Michigan's Oxford High School last November? They've been charged with multiple counts of involuntary manslaughter. They didn't sign any document, but were charged for not doing enough to stop him. Now, I still believe legally they've been overcharged, 
But so far, the case is moving forward. And sure, Cremo isn't a kid. Ethan Crumbly was 15. Robert Cremo, the dad, signed a document taking responsibility for the weapon. And if he knew about his son's ongoing issues, I believe he may end up getting charged, too. But joining me now is Matt Ficori, criminal defense attorney and former Cook County, Illinois prosecutor. Thanks so much for coming on the program. Appreciate it. So you do not think, though, there could be a criminal case against him, huh? No, I do not. I believe, uh, first of all, the, the tragic event that's happened hit close to home. Our office is just a, one of our offices is just a few minutes from Highland Park. But from a purely legal standpoint, I think it's a, it would be a stretch to charge him. And you touched on it because based on this affidavit, this consent, as you put it, it implies purely civil ramifications. When you hear the word liability and you hear the word damages, it implies a civil case. Now, you're right. Some of those words or some of that language could be used in a criminal case, but you, you hit it right on the head. Um, Ethan was a minor who should be under the constant care, custody, and control of his parents, who, by the way, gifted him a gun over in Michigan. So I think that's a stronger case. Here we have uh, Robert who is emancipated. He's an adult. He wasn't gifted a gun. He wasn't bought a gun by his father. And, uh, for all intents and purposes, from what I understand, he bought these guns by himself. They were registered properly. And his independent actions, although horrific, should not be blamed or in, uh, somehow uh, conspired uh, with by the father in that sense but but he did buy all the weapons though that and there were four of them i think all when he was under 21 and the only way you can buy a weapon in illinois when you're under 21 is when a parent sponsors you that's correct now i'm not saying the father is irresponsible or immoral i'm saying that as far as a criminal liability right. criminal culpability there's not enough here if we want to move forward and charge parents in situations like this, which I personally, I think we should, then there's a solution and that's to change the law. But right now it would be a stretch, just like, as you said, in an even stronger case in Michigan, and the law is a little different, but it's similar in some ways. It's still a stretch. It's not as strong of a case in Michigan, but those facts and circumstances are better suited for uh, rendering a criminal conviction than in this case here. Here, it's just, there's not enough of a causation link to, uh, to link um, I'm sorry, Robert, with his father to yeah. charge him and file criminal, Look, I, a criminal complaint. I agree him. with you that it's dangerous business to start getting into the, the business of prosecuting every parent for a, a kid who does something wrong. There are going to be lawsuits, civil lawsuits. When you're talking about involuntary manslaughter, as would be as is the case in the Crumbly case, I guess could be the case here. But do you think the political pressure on the authorities here is going to be too much not to charge the, the one of the parents at least? Uh, frankly, I don't. There's been a lot of uh, political pressure on Kim Fox. She's not exactly known, as you said earlier, as, you know, you want an aggressive prosecutor, so to speak, to take over a case like this and to possibly charge um, the father. Kim Fox is not known in these parts as an aggressive prosecutor, mm. especially based on the last few years in, in the crime in the Chicagoland area. You know, folks, I just want to make a comment that, you know, uh, Kim Allison, thank you for the uh, 10 pound super sticker. Also, uh, Alice AU, thank you for the two ninety nine super chip, uh, super sticker, very much appreciated. I just want to say, in these active shooter incidents, when we find out that the shooter himself had a mental illness, and then we find out that the parents signed off on the permission to buy firearms, I find it ridiculous. And like you know, uh, this attorney that's speaking right now. He's saying that if they want to charge things like this criminal, they need to change the law because right now the law isn't uh, suitable to charge the family members criminally for buying a firearm for uh, a mentally ill son who showed numerous um, counts of being mentally ill. Area And now, unfortunately, yeah. in the suburbs as well. And I, I should be clear. I'm not saying that I think he should be prosecuted. I'm saying that I think he really may be prosecuted. Uh, but look, you know this area better than I do. Uh, we shall see. We'll have you back on when one of us is wrong. Matt Ficori, uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. Appreciate it. You know, folks, uh, amazing, right? Amazing that um, this, this, this exists, that someone could buy a firearm for someone who's mentally ill. Someone who was already Andy the Gabby Cabby. Thank you so much, brother. Yeah, yet again, a young kid. Gets hands on firearms legally, and they obviously should not have. Why is that? You know, Andy, I wish that I could say why, 
Um, there needs to be more responsibility. All we keep hearing about in this country is red flags. There was a red flag. Uh, that should have been a red flag. This should have been a red flag. Yes, it should have been. But why wasn't it? Why didn't we catch that? You know, and, and as active shooter incidents occur, excuse me, as we have more and more active shooter incidents, and this happens to be a, a bad time. We had three in a row. We had the top supermarket in Buffalo. And then we had Uvalde with uh, 19 young students and two teachers. I mean, horrendous. And then this incident on July 4th, seven shot to death and 30 people wounded. I mean, it's how long do we have to uh, put up with this? And what I opened with before, and I was talking about... Um, the um, the personalities of these active shooters, um, and and I was reading a part of uh, James Gagliano, who is a uh, retired FBI agent, um, and he wrote a very good article, and I was just uh, referring to that before. Uh, a 2019 report by the U.S. Secret Service National Threat Assessment Center, mass attacks in public spaces noted that just over half of the 27 attacks in 2018, including grievance as a motivating factor. These motivations cut across political affiliations. The left-wing husband and wife who perpetrated the 2015 San Bernardino, California attack at a Department of Public Health Christmas party and training seminar that left 16 dead were homegrown violent extremists inspired by Islamic Jihad, according to the FBI. Those festering, those festering grievances can shape violent behavior across disparate races, ethnicities, cultures, and political ideologies. And eye-popping 97% of mass shooters are male. Furthermore, a 2018 FBI report that studied pre-attack behaviors of active shooters in the U.S. between 2000-2013 outlined several triggering events that precipitated attacks, including adversity encountered to interpersonal, employment, governmental, academic, or financial actions taken against the shooter. These adversities, real or imagined, can also fuel political violence like the San Bernardino attack. You know, one of the things that there's not enough on, uh, there's not enough study, is on the active shooters between the ages of 18 and 22. And... Ashley Banfield had a, um, a doctor on the other night that has been studying this. However, it's a rarity that hasn't been enough study on this. And I'm going to play a little bit of his interview. And I apologize if you've seen this before, but it's one of the only um, interviews of this kind that I've seen. And I've looked for others in regards to the psychology of an active shooter, a young, specifically a young active shooter, uh, analyzed by the, this particular doctor here. And I'm going to play this a little bit of this on the screen. With Dr. Michael Wellner, he is a forensic psychiatrist who's worked on many of America's most notorious cases. He's interviewed surviving mass killers. Dr. Wellner, uh, when I saw this guy's face pop up on the news today, I think my first reaction was, oh, he looks a lot like all the others. And there's the story today for me. It, it, they don't necessarily look like the boogeyman anymore. They kind of just look like every guy. And honestly, doctor, I could tell you a million stories of people who have dark music and dark social media, but they're not mass shooters. So what are we to do? Well, you've, you've thrown out a lot of questions in your introduction in your earlier segments. So let's tackle them uh, piece by piece. There's, there's, a look for a mass shooter that would be different from any other person who chooses to commit murder, but there is a pathway that distinguishes them. And knowing the pathway and understanding them, if, if you're watching this and you have concerns about someone, small or large, then it would give you at least some reason of whether you should be more concerned. And the most important thing is it starts with someone who uh, doesn't uh, develop resilience and blames others, but at some point um, along the way, in an early stage, identifies with destructiveness for destructive sake. That's the first, the, the first stage that graduates into identifying with destructive icons. 
And yet for that smaller subset of people who might be posting content about previous mass shooters um, that, that they may admire, there, there's still a, a, a space, there's still a gap from, from that point to someone who actually will go out and, and take this on. And, and the necessary ingredients are someone who is not only alienated, but becomes invested, invested in, in being alienated. So that person becomes not only isolated, but so much harder to reach. And at some point, because one is alienated uh, enough and, and someone is removed enough from the mainstream, uh, that person, not only hard to reach, but that person becomes uh, failing. That, that person begins to fail um, in various aspects of one's life, socially, vocationally, academically. And the most important is sexual. In my you know, this he brings this up, and this is the first time I've ever heard of this. He brings up the uh, psychosexual reasons, and, you know, we'll get back to Freud, Sigmund Freud, but he brings this up uh, as a as a problem within an active shooter, that the sexuality is is usually heterosexual, but it's, let, let me let the doctor talk. You'll listen to this. My experience, none of these individuals have developed healthy interpersonal sexual lives. And I would add, I have never encountered one of these individuals who is a long identified homosexual. I'm not saying that this is necessarily something that relates to heterosexual orientation. But what I am saying is that for those who fail intimately, that they identify their masculinity with destructiveness. And even then, those aren't the people who become mass shooters. But folks, what, what he's talking about, isn't that also a lack of being able to have interpersonal skills and in relating to other people? Wouldn't that also apply to your psychosexual health and an inability to have a relationship with a member of the opposite sex? The people who do are people who, who reach a threshold of hopelessness that they come to believe at some key point in their identity that it's never going to get better for them. And they're so identified with the destructive that they embark on a path of saying, hey, this is something that I identify with enough that it's going to be my identity. And I'm going to be someone who becomes larger than life, just like all of these other people that we've turned into celebrities, which is why it is a distinctively American phenomenon. Yes, it occurs in other places, but it is most decidedly an American export. So it's a convergence of that's a cultural sad. phenomenon with, with a with, with something that's male, because there are there is no such thing as a female icon of destructiveness. And you you know it's interesting. You started your segment with movies like Ferris Bueller. The movies that are relevant are the indulgently destructive and violent movies that we marinate our developing children with. I wouldn't put my children in front of a violent movie. I wouldn't, I, you know. You know, folks, there's a great point. And there's a, a, a psychiatrist, psychologist talking about violent movies and what effect violent movies have on the youth of this country. How about violent video games? People sitting in their house for eight and 10 hours a day playing these violent video games. Does that have a, a, an effect on that person's psyche? Does that depersonalize the killing and the slaughter of human beings? I, you bet. I think it does. So if they're going to watch what they're going to watch with their friends, it is what it is. But, but for everybody who preaches to us from Hollywood about guns and everything else, they themselves will pick up guns. They themselves will make money off of the violence industry. And no, the overwhelming majority of people who indulge in all of that entertainment media are not going to become mass shooters. But the mass shooters pick up on the iconography of it, and it feeds into it. So there's a cultural contribution, absolutely. That's what happens now. You know that men weren't just invented, but mass shooting has absolutely been something that that's tracked more recent decades. So we have to recognize that this isn't so that while it's something that relates to men, there is a cultural component. There's an American component, and that the solution. Um, requires many different aspects of society if we want to get there. 
I'm telling you this optimistically. We can solve it, but people don't want to take responsibility for what, what they can do at their end. And by the way, I'm not making excuses for the perpetrators. I'm just saying that there's a reason that folks are copycatting others. He copycatted others. He saw the, the, the idealized notion of a destructive individual, and he saw how we treat Uvalde, and he saw how we treat people uh, who, who kill 20, 30 people. There were 31 people wounded, and in his mind, those 31 people, he intended to kill them all. Well, I suppose the the bright spot, if there's even going to be one, is that he's talking. He's talking to investigators and hopefully he is just vomiting up all sorts of psychology that will help us to find the next before they can do this. Dr. Wellner, it's always good to have you. Thank you so much for your insight tonight. Appreciate it. Quite interesting, uh, Dr. Wellner there. That's the first time I've heard that type of deep dive into the psychology of a young active shooter. You know, we could go all the way back to um, uh, Harris and Klebold that, as we all know, were the Columbine shooters and their psycho- psychology, their psychology of, uh, of being bullied. And that was the, the, that was the mantra for years. Oh, they were bullied. They were bullied, you know? Uh, and, and that, that became uh, the, the word. Don't, don't let kids bully other kids. Cause what's going to happen. Uh, What's going to happen is they're going to become violent themselves. They're going to hit back. They're going to hit back at the bullies. And, and we, we know this. Uh, and and it's, it's a horrendous thing. Folks, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go on to our uh, YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. It's free to subscribe. Give us a thumbs up. Ring that bell. If you want to support us, you can... Uh, Go on our Patreon. We have three different levels. Or you can join our YouTube membership. And um, in our YouTube membership, we have five different levels. So um, we, we'd appreciate you all the, uh, all the assistance and all the support we can get, get from you guys. This case is just a, a horror show. It, it also goes on the fact that it's been... Um, this, this, this case has, has been the third one that's happened in as many months. Uh, and and that, that, that's a horror show. That's a horror show that this has occurred three in a row. And, you know, what, what do we do as a country? How do we respond to this? How do we respond to this as a nation? How does this, this town uh, respond to it? it it's, it's just a, a horrendous thing. You heard that the doctor talking about how partly um, some of this stuff is copycat stuff. Because here he is copying another active shooter and getting out there easily distracted, banned military weapons. There is totally a gun uh, control component in regards to this, no doubt. Uh, let me play a little bit of this if I can. Learning more about the man held in police custody for Monday's mass shooting. Sorry, folks, it's no one to do these charges. We need to get back, prosecute individuals. Uh, a small business needs to survive. They don't need. Sorry, folks, it uh, went to the wrong. Uh, Tonight, uh, we're learning more Here about the man held in police custody for Monday's mass shooting. 21-year-old Bobby Cremo III appears to have left a trail of violence on social media posts. Before the 4th of July shooting that left seven dead and more than 30 injured, he performed as a rapper, sharing disturbing music videos depicting mass murder. One of his recent videos shows him holding an American flag in a staged classroom with what appears to be shell casings on the floor. We're blurring the screenshots of the video to not give him further notoriety. Authorities say they were called in September 2019 by a family member because of alleged threats that he was going to, quote, kill everyone. Would this potentially have been enough for you to confiscate weapons or take some sort of action? So in in the case of September, the knives that Cremo possessed, they were confiscated and they were secured for safekeeping. It's rifles and uh, considering the social media posts and the videos that we have now seen. So so at that time, there was no information that he possessed any firearms, any rifles. Um, Would that be enough if he's making threats? It's it's 
it's a case-by-case -case basis. Another video shows a cartoon wearing a shirt with his YouTube channel's logo on it, holding a long gun and being shot by police. In a tweet posted last year, Cremo can be seen draped in a Trump flag with the caption, Spam. He's also apparently seen in a video that appears to show a Trump motorcade leaving an airport. His Twitter account has been suspended and the YouTube channel is unavailable. We are reviewing those. Those are going to be a part of any investigation uh, efforts by our task force investigators, Highland Park Police. We'll look at them and we'll see what they reveal. Cremo had his own Discord server where his community could chat about memes and politics. The most recent post before the shooting was a picture of Bud Dwyer, the Pennsylvania state treasurer who shot and killed himself on live television in the 1980s, along with the caption, I wish politicians still gave speeches like this. But is this behavior enough to sound the alarm legally? It's possible that enough violent imagery coupled with statements of intent to do harm could rise to the clear and convincing level an Illinois court needs in order to issue a restraining order. As investigators learn more about Cremo from his online presence, they have yet to determine a motive. Investigators are very much furthering the investigation. Uh, they have been in discussions with him. I don't have anything to say about motivation thus far because it hasn't been provided. This isn't the first time authorities examined disturbing social media posts in the wake of a mass shooting. The Parkland shooter posed with a gun showing his, quote, arsenal. The alleged killer in Uvalde posted a photo of two AR-style semi-automatic rifles. Would you recommend that community members in this community or others flag police to, to that kind of information? You said you weren't aware of it beforehand. Were you, if you were aware of it, could this have prevented something like this, considering the red flag laws and, and other laws here in the states? Absolutely. If, if the public sees something that is concerning online with anybody, they should notify the social media network it's posted on. They should notify local law enforcement. And that's when we get involved and we conduct an investigation. Law enforcement is going to do everything they possibly can to ensure the community is kept safe. But if we don't know about it, it's, it's hard for us to investigate. Okay, Dasha Burns joins us now live here in Highland Park. So, Dasha, I want you to walk our viewers through this. Yeah. Illinois has a red flag law. Police were called to the suspect's home years ago. They confiscated his knife collection because they were afraid. There was also fears that he'd commit suicide. So how does that young man then yeah. buy an AR-15 legally? I think this goes to show just how difficult it is to prevent something like this with the current laws and the current systems that are in place. Because there are multiple agencies at play here, right? You've got local police, you've got uh, state police, you've got federal laws as well. And red flag laws here in the state, they're still new. They went into effect in 2019. And so this is something that the state's attorney's office today was talking about, that people need to be more aware of these red flag laws. Police didn't know about these videos. They hadn't been flagged to these social media posts, as they said there. Perhaps if they were, if community members did reach out, this could have been prevented. But these laws are still complicated and murky, and not all agencies are always in coordination here yet. Thanks for watching our YouTube you know, folks, one of the, um, I'm sorry, uh, one of the things I suggested was, you know, I have a YouTube channel. I'm on Facebook. I'm on social media. I can't help but know how strict social media is with me. If I put anything up, they will demonetize my video, anything that they find not to their uh, standards or against their standards. And believe me, I don't do it, but I've been demonetized, and so has many other YouTube content creators. I posted a um, video uh, about a month ago on an active shooting case, and Facebook put me in the uh, put me in the penalty box for uh, 29 days. And when I tried to um, protest it, you can't even get through to anybody. So how do they not know about these folks? that online are putting all kinds of crazy stuff like like YouTube doesn't know that 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 all of this crazy stuff is being put online uh it, it's it's just it's it's nutty and how do they not know but they know about all this other stuff i would love to know that uh, folks and you know because you're all uh, you watch um you watch YouTube channels you see the content uh, and you're aware of it. Folks, uh, if you need a good attorney in the New York City metropolitan area, then Joe Murray is your man. Retired NYPD police officer, outstanding defense attorney, one time a heavyweight boxer, 
Joe Murray is uh, representing people and getting great results all over the area. If you want to reach Joe, his cell phone number is 718-514-3855. Or you can email him at joe at jmurray-law.com. He's got a website, jmurray-law.com. Joe Murray, attorney at law. <laughs> and he's also a big supporter of the Police Off the Cuff podcast. You know, folks, one of the things we were talking about was the father of Robert Cremo signing off for him to get these firearms and asking, should he be charged? And right now, the way the law is, he cannot be charged criminal. criminally. He can surely be charged civilly. And my opinion is, yes, he should be charged. How do you sign off on getting firearms for someone who's mentally ill after they had made an intention of committing suicide and another time threatened the whole family with knives? I just, how do you do that? I think he's ha has to be held. Andy the Gabby Cabby, thank you for the five pound super chat. Andy says these leftists, these lefties need kicking out of office. Our young need educating differently, and an effective deterrent needs to be in place. I agree with you, Andy. It's um, these active shooting cases are happening way too often, and we have to do something about it for sure to stop this. I'm going to share this. Uh, A little bit more about the, the, the shooter here. Alleged gunman charged in the deadly parade shooting in Illinois. Police confirming they received multiple calls from his home over the years, raising more questions about possible missed warning signs. 21-year-old Robert Cremo is being held without bail, charged with seven counts of murder and more charges on the way. Newly released video shows a SWAT team arriving at his mother's house on July 4th ABC News speaking to his father, who insists there was no warning this was going to happen. What he's now saying about his son and being under police investigation himself. ABC's Alex Perez is in Highland Park. Tonight, growing questions about how the suspect in the July 4th rampage was able to legally buy five firearms despite the red flags. His father, who sponsored the application for his son's gun permit because he was under 21, now telling ABC News he doesn't regret it. They do background checks, whatever that entails, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Bob Cremo saying it was up to law enforcement to vet his son. Investigators say just months before, his son attempted suicide and later threatened to kill family members. The father says he didn't know about the suicide attempt and didn't believe the other threat was real. Making threats to the family, I think it was taken out of context where it's like a, just a child outburst, whatever he was upset about. But that same day, officers confiscating more than a dozen knives, a dagger, and a sword from the home. The father now could face criminal charges for sponsoring that gun permit application. We've seen more prosecutors being more aggressive with parents who should have done more to stop something like this from happening. So the maximum kind of charge that he could potentially face would be something like involuntary manslaughter. The night before that horrific attack, Cremo's father insists they had a normal conversation and his son was in a great mood. I had no, not an inkling, warning, warning that, you know, something like this was going to happen. You know, I'm shocked. After police say his son confessed to killing seven people and wounding more than 30, Bob Cremo is blaming the system. We need to come together, between, just as a community here in the country, to, to come up with something, whether it's new laws, guidelines to prevent this from happening again because it, it continues to happen. And tonight we're learning police were called to the family home a number of times since 2002, mainly domestic calls. Only a few involved the suspect. There is only so much the police department can do. We have a social worker on board. You know, we do what we can. Uh, but absolutely, I, I, you know, I'm confident, I'm disappointed there wasn't more maybe we could do. Alex Perez joining us now. And Alex, let's go back to the father of the alleged gunman here who clearly is not accepting any responsibility himself. But could he still be held accountable even though his son was 21 at the time of the shooting rampage? Well, Whit, some legal experts believe the father could be held responsible because his son acquired most of those guns before he was 21 after his father signed that consent form. Now, for, as for those previous threats, investigators reviewed those cases and determined Cremo was not what they call to be a clear and present danger. Whit, 
All right, Alex, thank you. You know, I just cannot believe that, folks. Uh, how does, after the shooting occurred, how does the father take no responsibility to what occurred? How does he take no responsibility? I'm baffled by that. This, his son shot and killed seven people and wounded over 30, and the father signed off on these guns. How does the father take no responsibility? Look at that kid. You can't see that face and see he's got problems? I mean, tattoos all over his face. I mean, uh, tattoos on his neck. I mean, you know, I guess in this day and age, that's, that's perfectly okay. But I think that uh, his looks to me are screaming, uh, are screaming out that he's got problems. Uh, I don't know. Any of you guys agree, disagree? His, his demeanor, everything is, is, uh, is screaming out. Uh, Alice O, ha-ha. I, yep, I agree, Andy. I'm Australian. It's hard catching the same time watching with my coffee on a cold winter morning. Uh, Janice Martin, I agree, but police knew about him too. So did school most likely. Neighborhood said he was a problem there also. I think the police did what they were required to do by law. I don't think that they um, they took a deep dive in it, but I think um, they did what they were required to do by law. And maybe we're not happy with that. When he threatened to commit suicide, I believe it was handled by uh, mental health professionals. So how can you fault the police for that? For um, Joe Murray, <laughs> happy birthday. Thank you for the 1999 Super Chat, Joe. Happy birthday to our dear friend, Andy the Gabby Cabby. He has a great show. I love turning in when I need a good dose of common sense. Check out his YouTube channel. <laughs> Happy birthday, Andy. I, I, Andy, I would guess that you're in your 50s. Am I correct? And you don't have to tell us your age if you don't want to. But that's what I would guess. Uh, what, do you, what do you say, Andy? In your 50s? <laughs> Maybe late 40s. I don't know. So in this instance, how does he, um, how does, does the father not take any responsibility uh, the actions of the son when he was involved in it when he signed off when he signed off on this allowing and getting the son these firearms it's just incredible i i you know accountability accountability folks it's uh it seems like in this incident there was no accountability Police have said the assault-style rifle suspect Bobby Cremo, the third allegedly used in the Highland Park mass shooting, was legally purchased, as were the other four guns Cremo apparently owned. That despite the state's red flag laws, some say could have been used to deny him a FOID card or to potentially take those weapons away. Illinois has legislation that's probably superior to other states. However, it's like, you know, woefully lacking and it doesn't have teeth, and it needs to have teeth if we really want to end mass shootings. Lorianne Post has studied mass shootings over the years and says the Highland Park shooting follows a familiar pattern, despite the state's red flag laws. Most shooters put out plenty of warning signs. In Cremo's case, he attempted suicide in April of 2019. Five months later, police responded when he threatened to kill people in his home. They confiscated 16 knives and other weapons. He also put out allegedly threatening social media messages. The firearms retraining order is, is useful, is very useful in all these types of situations where someone is making threats, someone is, is uh, experiencing trauma. State Representative Denise Stoneback fought for funding to educate people about the red flag law. Since that law took effect in 2019, more than half of the red flag alerts statewide have been in DuPage County. I firmly believe that our use of this law has saved lives. Illinois Senator Dick Durbin, touring the UCAN facility on the west side of the city designed to prevent violence, says the red flag laws work, but ultimately it comes down to those closest to the potential gunmen to come forward. Parents have a special responsibility when it comes to firearms, and particularly when it comes to assault rifles, for God's sake. Uh, and I, I think there's got to be some culpability and responsibility in this situation. A lawyer for Bobby Cremo's parents admits his father did sign a consent form to allow his son to get a FOID card. 
However, the father had nothing to do with alerting authorities about any concerns regarding the red flag law. Hey, if you like that. So, folks, uh, the red flag law, we've been hearing a lot about that. You know, one of the things I'd just like to mention also is the outstanding police response to this incident. He was still out there. He dressed like a woman and was able to escape from the scene. I don't know if you've seen some of the video of him escaping. And he was able to, um, Susanna Branch, thank you so much for joining the Police Off the Cuff YouTube channel. Always happy to have a new member of our family aboard. Thank you so much. Uh, great to have all you guys aboard. Um, so the police responded and were able to... Um, to apprehend him and to uh, pull him over hours away from the town. And he had another semi-automatic rifle on him with 60 rounds of ammunition, and his intention was to do another shooting in Wisconsin. So had law enforcement not done their due diligence and not then done the outstanding job that they did, uh, it could have been horrendous. You know, it could have been another shooting at a different location. Uh, so it's it's so important that law enforcement not only does their due diligence on the scene, but they throw out a wide net of investigation. In this instance, they put out an alarm on the vehicle that he had, which uh, was his mother's vehicle, and they were able to uh, they were able to apprehend him before he did any more damage. So. You know, these active shooter incidents are just, uh, it seems like it's its happening uh, its happening way too often. Way, way, way too often. I mean, three in a row, Buffalo, Evaldi, Texas, and then, of course, the Highland Park one. And we become numb to it. It seems like, I'm not saying we accept it, but it's become like you hear people say, oh, this is so American. It's an American tragedy. It's happened. It happens in America. It's an American thing, an active shooting. And I think we got to stop it from being so common and becoming an American thing. Monday's attack shattered lives and broke families. Kevin and Irina McCarthy were both killed as they watched the Independence Day parade. Their two-year-old son, Aiden, was found by strangers, wandering alone, covered in blood. He was saying, mommy, daddy. So I went back up to look for his mom and dad. And then I saw the scene. Carnage. Carnage. Aiden is now an orphan. A GoFundMe for his relatives has raised more than $2 million and counting. The difficult question of why this happened remains unanswered and perhaps unknowable. The suspected gunman, 21-year-old Robert Cremo III, made his first court appearance Wednesday after admitting to police that he opened fire on the crowd. He went into details about what he had done. Uh, he admitted to what he had done. A motive still isn't known. Police say in addition to disturbing online posts, the suspect had an affinity for the numbers seven and four, matching the date of the massacre. They also believe he came close to staging a second attack after leaving the scene of the first. While he was driving and he located this celebration occurring in the Madison area, he contemplated another attack with the firearm he had in his car. Despite warnings about his mental health and previous calls to police, Cremo was still able to legally arm himself with assault rifles. His father sponsored his application for the necessary firearms permit. The state of Illinois and the United States should ban these types of assault weapons. Instead, the U.S. seems doomed to suffer more of these types of avoidable tragedies. Police in Richmond, Virginia, revealed that they disrupted a plot to attack that city's 4th of July celebrations. They've arrested two men who had high-powered rifles and hundreds of rounds of ammunition. Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington. Folks, a lot of you people in the chat are saying, Bill, do you think that the parents should be held accountable uh, for these shootings, be held responsible? And um, my feelings are yes, yes. I'm a parent. I had two boys. They're out of the house now. But if they started acting in this manner, uh, first of all, I would never let them buy high-powered rifles. But if they started acting in this manner, had mental health issues, I would 
for sure not sign off on letting, allowing them to buy a weapon. Uh, I think that in this society that we're in, we need to be held accountable. It seems less and less people are being held accountable. Um, and that, that, that's one of the problems is that if you don't hold people accountable, where does the buck stop? Where does it stop? Uh, boxing MMA, Andy, uh, this mass shooter isn't getting the death penalty. Andy, many jurisdictions in the United States, most probably do not have the death penalty anymore. Is it a deterrent? Um, I think it is. I think it is. Look at the Boston Marathon bomber. Now I think they reinstituted the death penalty. The only problem is they will appeal it for, for years and years and years, and it would cost a fortune to give someone the death penalty because attorneys get a hold of it, and it's a cash cow for attorneys. They just keep appeal upon appeal upon appeal. Uh, Rosemary, doctors have warned about widespread mental health from beginning of COVID lockdown. Not just America. Um, Rosemary, I, I agree with you, but I think this was a problem way before COVID. Uh, I think it's been a problem going back to Columbine. You know, uh, the lamb is the light. Did you all see the so-called mom yelling at the police? I did see that. And uh, I'm a little baffled as to what that was all about. Uh, crazy. Susanna Branch, I read in another article that the mother was sort of out of control. The father did run for mayor, and the present mayor had Crimo in her Cub Scout troop. Uh, love yourself. If someone has mental health issues, H, hell to the no. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, someone else wrote, B. Abernathy, or uh, someone wrote that um, they believe that the the death penalty is a deterrent. I think in some circumstances it is. Um, Columbine was the first on a fluke. Columbine was one of the earlier um, active shooter incidents at a school, uh, Columbine, uh, Colorado. We all remember the name. In fact, we remember the name of the two, the two shooters, Harris and Klebold. And we remember the motive of that was that they were being bullied and they were hitting back for it. So we remember all these instances because that was in the, in the history of active shootings. That was one of the earlier ones. And uh, so we all remember those things. And um, it's a shame. Continues to grieve in the aftermath, investigators now digging into the Highland Park shooting suspect's background and any possible missed red flags. According to newly released police records, the Highland Park Police Department issued a report calling the alleged shooter Robert Cremo III a clear and present danger. That was three years ago when a family member claimed he was threatening to kill everyone. But a later review found there was not enough evidence to support a clear and present danger determination, so Cremo was able to pass later background checks for his gun purchases. The suspect's father, who says he did not live with the son and claims he was not aware of incidents of violence, sponsored his application for a gun license before he was 21. Robert Cremo Jr. talking with ABC News. Making threats to the family, I think it was taken out of context, where it's like a, just a child outburst whatever he was upset about. His son now behind bars charged with seven counts of first-degree murder. The heartbroken families of those killed now preparing for their last goodbyes, while several others who were injured continue to recover, including eight-year-old twins. Keely and Cooper were both shot that day, and Luke also suffered injuries from shrapnel. Family friend Anthony Loizzi says Luke has been treated and released from the hospital, but his twin brother Cooper remains in critical condition on a ventilator. Doctors now fearing he may be permanently paralyzed. Cooper was shot in the chest and he suffered significant injuries, including a severed spinal cord. And back here on the ground, family after family laying down cards and candles, evidence of a community shattered. Morgan Norwood, ABC News, Highland Park, Illinois. So, folks, uh, just a horrendous incident. Uh, we're going to keep following this as the case moves along. Um, 
There was another potential active shooting incident where someone called up. You know, I always say on this show, if you see something, say something. Well, someone did see something and someone did say something. And they stopped a potential active shooting before it even happened. And the police were able to recover high-powered weaponry and stop a, a horrendous incident before it even occurred. Uh, amazing. And uh, again, see, see something, say something. Uh, Okie dokie, what is the cost of the death penalty versus life in prison? Well, okie dokie, one of the problems with the death penalty is that it has an endless, endless amount of appeals. Attorneys just seem to appeal it forever. And since the, the, uh, the accused is not paying for the attorneys, the attorneys just, the appeal goes on, it seems, forever. Uh, Bruce City, London girl, virtues are habits, not occasional practices. I don't have virtues mostly, I mostly have vices. Vices are habits. <laughs> I don't know, I got into that, guys. Um, Imochidoro, it's a deterrent for the one who gets it, for the death penalty. Yes, I believe it is. I believe it is. Um, boxing MMA, I think mass shooters should be killed the day they are found guilty in their trial. It might make them think twice before they pull the trigger. Well, it's that Hammurabi's code, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It seems like we don't believe in that anymore in this country. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's a horrendous thing. You know, folks, I want to thank everyone for coming by tonight. I did this sort of unannounced. I just decided to go on the air. I think there's a lot still to be said about this case and about active shooters. Um, it's so important to understand what active shooters are and to be prepared in every jurisdiction to be prepared for them because you know, it, it's not going away. It's, it's, it's here to stay. It's something that's um, in every jurisdiction. We saw in different jurisdictions in this country handle them a certain way. We see it be mishandled. Um, uh, mishandled in Evaldi, Texas, resulting in 19 young kids being murdered. Uh, just, just crazy. And... Um, some of, the, some of these articles that are being written by law enforcement professionals, uh, I, I um, implore you to read them, especially the one by James Gagliano. He does a great job. It's called um, Eye on the News, A Bitter Harvest. Uh, and it's entitled, Have Societal Valorization of Victimhood and the Rise of Grievance Industries Contributed to Mass Shootings Like the One in Highland Park. Grievance industries, doesn't it seem like that that's something that uh, everyone now today is outraged by everything? Is that maybe what his article is talking about? Uh, the grievance industry. Give everyone a, a trophy. That was another thing. You know? In this world we live in, you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. So don't just give the team that won a trophy. Give everyone a trophy. You know? But is that really life? Is everyone in life a winner? Does everyone come up a winner? Nah, no. We all have our hearts broken every single day of this life, right? Not everyone's a winner. So maybe we have to handle things differently. Maybe we have to disappoint some people. Maybe not everyone gets a trophy, you know? Uh, Janice Martin, some parents probably don't have the insight to see what their own children are about. You know, I worked so much when my kids were young and I still managed to spend as much time with them as I possibly could. And my wife was with them all the time and we would know if there was something wrong with them, if they were doing something wrong, we would be on top of it. So to say that parents don't know what their kids are up to, I don't accept that. They're your kids, you know, uh, Mary, his dad says the family threat was just like a childlike outburst. And he still still signed for him to get a gun. Insane. Mary, I 100% agree with you. A childlike outburst? Children should not have guns, shouldn't have firearms, all right? And that was a childlike outburst, so you're going to sign off for him 
to not just get any, not a handgun, a high-powered weapon. It was just a childlike outburst. Uh, Andy the Gabby Cabby, it's been great, Bill. Been good to catch up with you live. And you too, Andy, and happy birthday. Hope you get a nice cake. Hope your wife's making you a nice cake and singing happy birthday. And I hope you don't have too many candles on it, right? <laughs> just as many candles as you want to have on it, right? Uh, Andy the Gabby Cabby, I work hard as well. Don't see as much of my kids as I would like. But I tell you, if they need me in there, all other concerns are secondary. 100%, Andy. I agree with you 100%. Tom Jordan gives the thumbs up. You guys, again, thank you so much for uh, watching the show tonight. Um, we got some new stuff coming up soon. Uh, Phil and I got some good stuff on the front burner. We're going to... Uh, we're going to have coming out very soon. Guys, thank you so much for listening tonight. Um, God bless and stay safe, everybody. One episode, just